Thank you, Beverly Shea. Now shall we pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that tonight that we will see no man save Christ, hear no voice save God. We pray that in this hour that there might be a holy hush as we talk on this tremendous theme. We pray that thou would give liberty and power tonight. We pray that there may be no flesh and no self that we'll see only Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. I want to say tonight that I deeply appreciate our brother Paul Myers being here. It's touched my heart deeply for him to come on this platform and share with us the ministry of this campaign. We deeply appreciate in days gone by his help, his advertisement, his prayer, always open-hearted, always warm and gracious toward those that are in the work of the Lord. Tonight, I trust that we'll all be praying for him. He's launching out by faith in a few days on a new great network of stations across America. And I hope you're going to be praying for him, standing by. I do not believe that there's a program today, and I say it sincerely, and I've never said this about any program from any platform before. I don't think there's a program today that has reached so many people touched so many hearts and lives, and comforted so many Christians, and stopped so many sinners with the program The Haven of Rest. First time I ever heard it, I just moved to Chicago. Beverly Shea called me up one day and he said, I've just heard a new program. He said, I want you to hear it. The next week, I tuned in and listened to The Haven of Rest. And every time I could get to the radio, I was listening to that great program coming from Los Angeles. I consider it an honor and a privilege to sit on the same platform with our brother tonight. Then I deeply appreciate the Great Baptist Temple crowd here tonight because long I've heard of the tremendous ministry of their pastor and counted a privilege and honor to put my hand in his tonight and have him on this platform. We deeply appreciate you folks being here and the other groups that are here that I shall not call by name, but we're delighted to have you and we give you a hearty Christian welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen many wonderful things taking place under this Kansas Cathedral in the last few days. We've seen hundreds of Christians dedicating their lives to Christ. We saw something like 800 or 1,000 down here at the altar night before last. Last evening we gave our first evangelistic address. We saw many people, I did not count them, but we saw many people, at least a couple score people, coming to a saving knowledge of Christ last evening. Tonight we're praying that God will continue the work of His Holy Spirit. Because I'm more convinced than ever before that it's not by might and not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And I'm more convinced than ever before that it's not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it's in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And I trust tonight that we'll be praying that God will honor and bless his word. I want you to turn with me, first of all, to a very familiar passage of Scripture that you've read a thousand times and heard many sermons on it. And I'm not going to use it as a text tonight, but I want to read it as a background for what I have to say. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And I'm going to try to cut my message down tonight and cut out a number of things that I'd like to say in order to make it somewhat brief. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and when he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet it is seeming stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who has declared his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people which he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to grieve. He had put him to grief. And thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land. He shall fear the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Tonight, we've just read the prophetic eyes of Isaiah as he was directed by the Holy Spirit. Speaking, not of himself, but speaking with prophetic eye 800 years into the future when Messiah would be cut off, when the Lord Jesus Christ would die for the sins of mankind. Then we go back to the key verse of the Old Testament. If someone would ask me the most important verse in the Old Testament, if someone would ask me the key verse of all the Old Testament, I would turn to Leviticus 17, 11. And we read these words. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the souls. When I was in school, I took my major in college in anthropology. And as we studied physical and social anthropology the world round, I remember that one of the things that impressed me and the thing that I wrote my graduation thesis on was that 90% of the world's population at all times have believed and practiced Blood atonement. If you go back to enlightened Greece, you find that in Athens, the city, the cultural seat of the ancient world, a plague would strike the city. A man of the poorer class would offer himself, give his best for a year, and then prayer and confession would be made, and he would be taken outside the city and stoned, and as the blood oozed from his body, it was supposed to be an atonement for the sins of the people to the God of gods to whom they worship. Go to Thrace. And you find in Thrace that several men were sacrificed every year to purify the city. In Saxony, as late as 785 A.D., it was necessary to prohibit human sacrifice. In Egypt, the city of the sun, three men were sacrificed every day. After being stripped and scrutinized for blemishes, they were sacrificed for the sins of the people. Or you go to the Scythians, and we find that an artificial mound was built. And out of every 100 captives taken, the heart would be cut out. A little dipper would catch the blood as it came from the place where the heart had been, and it would be put over this artificial mound of porous material that had been built, and as the blood dripped down through that porous material, it was to cleanse the people from their sins. Or go to the Aztecs of ancient Mexico, and we find that in ancient Mexico, 20,000 people a year died on the altar of the Aztecs of ancient Mexico for the sins of the people. For example, on a certain day, a young man would be chosen. For an entire year, he would live as a king. They would call him their king. They would call him their god. He would be God's representative upon earth. And they would treat him with all the rank of royalty. Then on the last day, while the crowd was gathered at the base of the pyramids that we've seen in Mexico, this man would come up the stairs of the pyramids. When he got to the top, six priests would rush out. One would grab the right hand, one the left hand, one the right foot, one the right left foot, one his head, and bend him over a convex stone. The sixth priest would rush out and with an obsidian knife cut his heart out. While it was still palpitating, would take it and smear it on the face of the idol, and then the body would be thrown down to the people below, and the knives would flash, and they would cut parts of the body and take it home and have a communion service as they would eat that flesh and drink that blood. 20,000 people a year died on the altars of ancient Mexico and they thought that by the shedding of that blood they would atone for their sins. Where did those thoughts and ideas come from? Where did they originate? Some mythical past? 
way back somewhere in the past that no man knows? I don't think so. I think they came from the dawn of history. Because God says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And from the earliest days, God was teaching man that the only way that man can approach God is by blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And God demands blood. And blood is a symbol of life. And God demands that life be extracted for the sins of the people. I want you to go back with me. I want you to see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I want you to turn with me to the third chapter of Genesis. The third chapter of Genesis where it all began. And I want you to see with me what God has to say about it. In the third chapter of Genesis we find this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? And there, as I said the other night, the purpose of Satan in the very beginning was to put a doubt concerning God's word in the mind of Eve. And Satan has not changed. His job and his tactic and his approach is still the same. To put in the minds of people a doubt in God's word. And we find many professors and we find many people today that profess the name of Christ, that doubt God's word. Satan has not changed. He's just the same today. He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Remember that verse of Scripture. There is one of the key verses of all the Bible. And there is the key verse to understand why Christ had to die. We'll come back to it later. But listen, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to die. You'll die physically, you'll die spiritually, you'll be separated from me. Now listen to the serpent, listen to the devil. And the serpent said unto the woman, he shall not surely die. And he's still saying that. God says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall die. The man that rejects Jesus Christ will spend eternity in a lake of fire. And today Satan is still saying and whispering in our ears, we can beat the game of sin. We can get away with it. We're not going to die. We're not going to suffer. And a thousand cults have been raised up to deny that man is going to spend eternity in our darkness away from God because God says the wages of a man's sin is death and the soul that sinneth shall die. But Satan says, oh no. <laughs> Why, you're not going to die. Why, you know what will happen to you? Why, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Satan appealed to the pride of the woman and said that the day that you eat thereof, why, you're going to become as gods. You're going to know as much as God. You're going to feel like God and talk like God and be like God. Why, God just says what you eat because God's jealous of you. That's what Satan said. And listen to this. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the eye, or lust of the flesh, and was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eye, and... A tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. And Satan always attempts through the same three avenues he hasn't changed today. It's either through lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aching. They didn't become a job, did they? Didn't work out like they thought they were going to didn't do like Satan said he was going to do. They found out right then and there that the devil was a liar as Jesus said he was. And when he whispers in your ear tonight that you can get away with it and go on in your sinning and go on rejecting Jesus Christ and procrastinate and put it off, remember this, that's his business, he's a liar. Jesus said he was a liar and the father of lies. And he's still telling us the same thing tonight. Now listen. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he asked, Who told thee that I was naked and so forth? And we go on down. I'm not going to take time to read it. But you know what Adam did immediately after he sinned? After he was separated from God, he saw that he was naked, 
and he saw that he sinned, and he saw that he didn't become his God, and so he went out and got some fig leaves, and sewed them together, and made an apron to cover himself with, to hide his nakedness. But you know what happened? The penetrating eyes of the Lord God saw through the apron, and saw through the fig leaves, and saw the nakedness of Adam, and saw his sin. And you know what the scripture says? It says that God went out into the field and pulled the beast and shed blood and took the skins and covered Adam and Eve and that became the first type of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. Blood was shed. And from that moment on, God began to teach man that the only way that man can approach him is by blood and no other way. Some of us are sowing on fig leaves tonight. Oh yes, we're living a pretty good life. We're pretty respectable in our community. And we have all the language. And we've joined the church even. Why, my, we go to church on Sunday morning. And we sit in the pew and we've got our Sunday clothes on. And we're so self-righteous. And it's just so wonderful. Everybody thinks we're such wonderful Christian people. And we go to the Women's Auxiliary and we just work our fingers off. And we go to the Missionary Society and we work our fingers off. And we just run, 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 committee meetings, committee meetings. We paint the church. We help all the rest of it. And we're doing everything to sow fig leaves. But let me tell you. God says that our own righteousness is as filthy rights in his sight and he sees right through it. For by grace that he saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And God says tonight that our works, our righteousness is as filthy rights. He said it smells in my sight. It's a stench to my nostrils. And when we stand at the great white throne judgment in that day and we have our fig leaves on and we have them sewn in there in place, it might be the best suit in town, might be the finest fig leaves in all the world that we have sewn on and we'll say, but oh Lord, I cast out demons in your name. But Lord, I was a member of the church and oh Lord, I was baptized. Lord, I was baptized backwards and forwards and poured on and sprinkled. And Lord, I had it all and I did it all. Depart from me, ye cursed and I never knew you. What did you do with Jesus, my son? Then, I want you to go on down through Scripture a little bit. I want you to see Cain and Abel. You know what the Scripture says? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, the Bible says in the early part of Genesis, produce after your kind. That's a law of evolution and a law of life. After its kind, after its time, 13 times in the first part of Genesis, it says, produce after its kind, after its kind. Now, we have Adam and Eve, sinners. They produce Cain and Abel, sinners. Cain and Abel produce sinners. They produce sinners down to your grandfather, and your grandfather and grandmothers produce sinners, and your father and mother produce sinners, and tonight you're a sinner tonight in the eyes of God because he says all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. And that's what David meant when he said in sin did my mother conceive me. Tonight every man, woman, boy and girl born into this world is born in sin. The scripture declares it. All the way through the word of God, God is telling us that the entire world is guilty before God. Cain and Abel came along. Nice little boy. Read together. Went to the same school together. Had the same dad and mom. Had the same gang to run around with. And Abel one day decided that he was going to be a rancher and Cain decided he'd be a farmer. And so Cain toiled in the field all the day long. Under the hot sun until his strut forehead became suntanned and perspiration dripped down his face and his hands became callous as he toiled in the sun, getting his vegetables and getting his gardens and getting his wheat and his corn properly ready. But all Abel had to do was just sit back and watch the cattle grow. Got along fine. Didn't have to work too hard. Probably made more money. He came. Then the time of year came for them to come and bring their sacrifice to God. Cain decided 
Well, God says to come by the way of blood and to bring an animal as a type. But I don't think God wants my little old cows and my sheep and my goats and my bullocks. I think God would rather have my wheat and my corn. I've got the best corn in the country. And I think God would rather have all that than any animal slain and any blood on an altar. And so he decides to make his own choice. And he goes down and he gets the best corn and the best vegetables and the best of everything he has and he brings it and offers it to God. And Abel brings a bullock and cuts the bullock's throat and the blood is shed upon the altar. Which one do you think that God God accepted Abel's blood offering and rejected Cain's offering because God said, there is no remission of sin outside the shedding of blood. And God was teaching man at the very beginning of history that there is no way back to God for the human race except that life be extracted and blood be shed. Then we come to Noah's death. You know the first thing Noah did when he got out of the ark? The scripture says in Genesis 8.20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered offerings unto the Lord. Go to the 12th chapter of Exodus. And in the 12th chapter of Exodus, we find the death angel is to come over Egypt one night. God said, I'm going to destroy the firstborn of every person in all of Egypt, of the Egyptians and the Israelites. The firstborn, the eldest son, will die tonight as a judgment upon Egypt, except, thanks be unto God for the except. Thanks be unto God. He said to the children of Israel, Except the houses where the blood is sprinkled on the doorpost. God says if you go out and slay an animal and put the blood on the doorpost, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And nothing else. Not when I see your good work. Not when I see your church membership. Not when I see your righteousness. But when I see the blood, I'll pass over and not until then. So that afternoon, a young son comes in. And he says, sir, it's getting toward evening. And the death angel's going to pass over tonight. Oh, Dad, I, I haven't lived a good life. And Dad, I'm afraid I don't deserve to live. Dad, I deserve to die. What do you think the death angel will do when he comes to my house? The father smiled and smiled his face and his eyes sparkled. He said, come here, son. And they went out and he said, you see on the doorpost the little of the door? Yes, sir. Do you see that blood up there? Yes, sir. We have the promise in the word of Almighty God that when he sees that blood, he'll pass over this house this night. And that's all I need is the word of God. And tonight, the only reason that I can stand here and say that I'm saved and on the way to heaven is because when God looks at me, He looks at me through the blood of Christ and sees me as though I'd never committed a sin, justified in His sight by the blood and by the life extracted from our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you tonight, is the blood sprinkled by faith? I ask you tonight, have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Brother, let me tell you, you'll never get to heaven by your work. We'll never get to heaven by the offerings you give in the collection tent. We'll never get to heaven by our good works. We'll only get there through the merit and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. And at the great white throne judgment, if the blood is not there, he says we're going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone to stand in That's not my words. That's the words of God in his word. Well, all of these sacrifices in the Old Testament are nothing but types and shadows and symbols of that which was to come. We read in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. 
Now get this straight from the very beginning. The blood of bulls and goats and bullets could never take away one sin unless they were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were all types and shadows and symbols of a coming Messiah, of a coming Savior who was to die on the cross of Calvary for the sins of mankind. And let me tell you, the Old Testament saints were saved in exactly the same way as we're saved. They were saved by faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were shed by, they were cleansed by the same blood. They were forgiven by the same faith that was put in Christ who was yet to come. We look backward, they look forward. And as they went in every year, as the priest went in to slay the bull and to offer the sacrifice unto the Lord every year, and the Israelite came away, he came away realizing that that blood was looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ would die on the cross of Calvary. Now, you say, but I don't understand why God demands blood. Why, a young man in Sweden one night said to me in Stockholm, why, that's a slaughterhouse religion. That's a blood religion. A young fellow in Belfast Island said to me one time, he said, you know, he said, if you just quit preaching blood, he said, I'd enjoy it a lot better. The dean of one of the large Midwestern universities heard me preach in Florida one night, and he said, young man, he said, you have some talent to speak. And he said, I believe you can go places if you just cut out talking about the death of Christ and the blood of Christ. He said, cut that out. He said, don't you know that the blood of Christ dried up in a Syrian grave 1900 years ago and does no good for us today? Quit talking about it and you'll go places. But tonight, I want to tell you why Christ had to death. In the next moment, I want to tell you why Christ had to die. And I was preaching for eight years before I saw this. Why the blood had to be shed. Why Christ had to die. Go back to our verse in Genesis. What does it say? The scripture says, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. God says, In the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Now, after they ate of the fruit, suppose God had come along and said, Now, Adam, old boy, <laughs> you've just made a little error. You've made a little mistake. And I'm going to forgive you. You're a good boy, and if I just fan that divine spark in you a little bit, it's going to flame into a mighty fire and you're going to be a good boy. Don't you worry about that little error and that little sin you just committed. It's all forgiven. You know what would have happened? God would have been a liar and reverently speaking, God would have tumbled from his throne. The Old Testament is written primarily for the purpose to show us that God is a holy God. And if you want to learn your Bible, Christians, and if you want to learn the basis of the nature of God, you understand something of the holiness of God. The basic attributes of the Lord's God tonight is holiness. And God is a God of holiness. And the scripture says that his eyes are too pure to behold evil and to look upon evil. God is a God of righteousness, a God of holiness, and a God of justice. And if God had told Adam that after he told him he'd die, God would have been alive. If Adam had not died, God would have been alive. Adam had to die. And every man that ever sinned had to die. Or God would have been alive. And tonight, the whole world is guilty before God. And every man, whether he's white or black or yellow or red, educated or uneducated, has to die for his own sin. Because he disobeyed God, he was born in sin, and God is a God of holiness and cannot look upon sin. Man and God tonight are at opposite ends of the moral universe. One's at the South Pole, one's at the North Pole, and there's no possible way to reconcile man and God except man die or someone die in his place. Now I want you to see something. Suppose somebody would come along that had no sin and take man's place. 
God could shed blood, extract life, death could ensue, and God could forgive this man over here because the penalty was paid in this person here who had no sins of his own, who didn't deserve to die, God Almighty could still be just and yet justify the sinner. But who in the world can it be? Who has the capacity to bear in his body the sins of the world? Who has the capacity to die because the whole world is sinning? But here's Mr. So-and-so, he forgets that the Bible says all is sin. Here's Mrs. So- the Bible says all is sin. But here's Mrs. Paul is sin. But here's Paul is sin. You have to die for you. Mr. Jim cannot die for me because he has to die for himself. And Mrs. Susie cannot die for me because she has to die for herself. She's a sinner. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. We're all sinners lost before God tonight without any possible way of saving ourselves. No way unless blood is shed and life is extracted from an innocent party. So God can be true to himself in nature and yet justify the sinner. How can it be done? Is there anybody in this whole universe that could do it? There was only one person. And that person was the son of God. And in the council halls of God, the issue was decided before the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God. And he was slain before the foundation of the world was ever laid because the Lord Jesus Christ voluntarily said, God the Father, I'll go. He looked over the battlements of heaven. He saw a planet swinging out into space, lost, doomed, damned, out of kilter with the rest of the world to spend eternity in hell and its inhabitants outside of God in blackened and awful and terrible condition. Oh yes, they were walking around on that little speck of dust way down there. Thought they were somebody. And the devil had them food. Boy, we're building skyscrapers. We've got atomic bombs. And boy, look what man's doing. Little speck floating out in the space. And didn't know that they were blind and poor and naked and miserable in the sight of God. And didn't know that they were sinners. They were so far gone in sin that they were blinded and couldn't see their own condition. That's the awful condition that Satan puts a man in. He's so blind he can't see himself. So blind he can't see his sin. So blind he can't see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. So there they were, floating out down the space on a little tiny And there they were again, walking around the earth. And Jesus looked out over the bottomless of heaven. And he saw the planet. He said, Gabriel, and I say this reverently, Gabriel, get my horse. Get my chariot. And he put on his robe. Got him his jewel chariot. And started out the golden highway through the pearly gates accompanied by angels with drawn swords morning stars began to sing together and the whole world looked on with awe and the universe almost stopped in its course at the majesty and the glory of the holy train as it came across the steep of the sky that dark black Judean night just above in the stratosphere of this planet Jesus Christ, Prince of Princes, Lord of Lords, and King of Kings, took off his royal robe, handed the reins to Gabriel, said, I'll be back, and when I come back, I'll carry a ransomed world upon my shoulders. And King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and Prince of Princes, took off his crown, and laid it down in the chariot, came down to this little planet floating out into space, You'd have thought he would have come to Caesar's home. But man didn't have room, for a man was too big in his own conceit and too blinded to see that they were entertaining the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that had flung worlds into space from flaming fingertips and held them there with the power of God nipping in and directed with precision the operation of the universe. So he said, and for 33 years, he lived for one man. The moment that he came, he came not to be born, 
He came to die. The very purpose of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world was to die. We make a great deal of Christmas. And I love Christmas. We make a great deal and we've commercialized it today and we give our gifts and we have our Santa Claus and thousands of people celebrate Christmas. But remember this, Jesus never came to be born. He came to die upon the cross and the pole of the cross hung as a shadow across his pathway from the moment he was born until the day he expired on Calvary. And I want you to see him as we skip his life tonight. That he humbled himself as a servant became obedient unto death and Jesus Christ the Son of God as he was praying that night in Gethsemane and sweating drops of blood my God if it be thy will let this cup pass from me if there's any other way to save the world do it Lord but if not thy will be done then the flash of the torch the angry soldiers, the spears, the cuffs, the slaps, the spatting, the spittle, the pulling of his beard, and he was taken off to the Sanhedrin that night. False witnesses were brought in the tombs in the The next day to Herod, back to Pilate. Pilate washes his hands and says, I'll have nothing to do with this just man. He's an innocent man. His wife sent to him and said, My good man, please have nothing to do with this man. I've been troubled in my dreams. And he was declared innocent by the Sanhedrin by the very confusion of the witnesses. He was declared innocent by the Roman governor. He was declared innocent by the consciences of men that came from his wife. He was declared innocent by all the courts of the land. Yet Pilate stood up before the angry mob. Who shall I release unto you? Christ of the rest. And they yelled back. Release unto us forever and crucify Jesus. Pilate let him go. So they put a 250 pound cross on his back. And with long whips, with steel pellets on the end, they beat him across the back and scourged him. And they put a crown of thorns upon his brow until his face bled. And they jerked his beard and they spat in his face. And they kicked him and cuffed him and laughed and mocked and sneered. Every step of the long road to Golgotha's mountain. There when they got there, they put him on a cross. On the ground, they nailed a spike in that hand. One in that hand. And a spike through his feet. And laid him there. And then picked the cross up. And with an awful jerk, hung him between heaven and earth to die. King of kings, Lord of lords, dying not for his own sins he had, dying for the sins of the very men that were put into this, dying for your sins and us. Up in heaven, David, stood with drawn flaming sword, Michael drew his sword, twelve legions of angels gathered together with drawn swords, waiting for one look from his blessed face and they would have come down and slain the whole crowd and swept the whole world into eternity without God and without hope. But not one time did he look. Not one time did he take one finger and back. You know what held him to the cross? Love. Love for you and me. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the scripture says that Christ died for the ungodly and died for the sinners. And he took your place and my place. And I deserve to do that, did not I deserve to die a horrible physical death. And I deserve to die a more horrible spiritual death. But I want you to see Jesus Christ for a moment as he died physically. The only word that came from his lips was, I thirst. What an awful word that was. How thirsty and parched his body must have been. But other men have died. The real suffering of Jesus Christ and the real depth of Calvary is when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that awful moment, God had turned his back. 
for the first time in eternity, the Son and the Father were separated. For the first time in eternity, God turned His back on His beloved Son, in whom He was well pleased. And the Son said, Oh God, far worse than I have dreamed of thought, to be separated from God. And the blood was coming out of His body, and the blood was a symbol of life that was being extracted because God, in order to be just, had to have blood extracted and death in order to keep His Word and to be holy and just. And yet He wanted to justify the sinner and remain just Himself. The light is so blinding we don't know much about it. And yet it's just enough to let us know what went on in that awful hour. And I dare not tread where Scripture has not gone. I dare not imagine what happened when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, literally went to hell for the sins of the men and the women of the world. I dare not imagine tonight what happened in that awful moment. Then when he said, it is the plan of salvation complete. And you think that you can add to that what the Lord Jesus has done? You think that your puny works can add to your salvation? Brother, you're mistaken. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, finished it. If there was any other way, God would have made it known. There was no other way. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And life was extracted and death came to the Son of God that you might never die. That you might never suffer death. That you might never go to hell. And you know what God says? All God says about that tonight is, you just believe. You just trust. You just accept what Jesus did. That's all you have to do. You say, but don't I have to? No, you don't. Don't I have to work? No, you don't. All you have to do is believe. Trust. Accept what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, right where you sit now, and I can guarantee on the authority of God's word that you're going to have. And you can have cleansing from sin because the scripture says in 1 Peter 1.18 these words, for as much as you know that ye were redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The scripture says that the blood brings us not. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel but thanks be unto God the blood brought us back to God. It makes peace. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. It justifies Romans 5.9 Much more then being now justified by His blood, we are saved from the wrath through Him. It cleanses, 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Brethren and sisters, tonight there is no cleansing from sin outside the blood of Christ. There is no way to heaven tonight outside of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus from the cross of Calvary, and all God asks you to do is believe in it. Trust in it, bathe in it, live in it, move in it. Let that crimson flow wash you clean in it. It'll break every fetter and rope and chain of sin. It'll cleanse every sin you've ever committed. It'll give you joy and peace and life that you never dreamed. And it guarantees on the authority of God's word if you die tonight out on a street corner or you drop dead of a heart attack that you go straight to heaven. And there's only one way, one way to Charles Finney was in Detroit. And I close with this. Charles Finney was in Detroit. And he was preaching. And a man came up to him one night and he said, Mr. Finney, may I see you? And it was a cold night. And the snow was lying out on the ground. And Mr. Finney looked at him and he looked like a very tough looking individual. He said, All right. He said, If you want to see me, I'll go with you. I want you to come to my place of business, Mr. Finney. I know it's late, but I must see you. Charles Finney said, all right. And some of the brethren came to him afterward and said, Dr. Finney, please don't go with that man. He's one of the worst characters in the city. Dr. Finney said, I feel strangely led to go with this gentleman tonight. And so down the street, arm in arm, they went along the snowy pathway. 
then through a dark alley, up some rickety stairs, and the man took a key out of his pocket and turned the lock and they walked in. Then the man turned around and locked the door behind him, turned on the lantern, reached in his pocket and pulled out a revolver, held it to Mr. Finney. He said, Mr. Finney, he said, I heard you say something in your sermon tonight that I want to confirm. Do you mean what you said when you said that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can cleanse from sin? Mr. Finney said, that's exactly what I said and what God means when he says the blood of Christ can cleanse from every sin. Mr. Finney, you see through that hallway there, that's the worst saloon pattern. I've seen women come in here and beg me not to sell any more of that filthy stuff to their husbands, and I've had the women thrown out in the ditch. I've ruined a many a family and a many a home. Mr. Finney, is there any hope for such a man like me? Mr. Finney looked at him and smiled and said, Son, the blood of Jesus Christ is uncleansed from all things. Mr. Finney, that's not all. I run a house of prostitution. I've wrecked a many a home and a many a man. And disease is spread all over this town because of me. Mr. Finney, is there any hope for a man like you? Mr. Finney looked at him the second time and smiled and said, Sir, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Mr. Finney, that's not all. The other night a man came into my place of business and this very revolver, I killed him. I murdered him. Mr. Finney, is there any hope for a murder? Mr. Finney looked at him again and smiled and said, Sir, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Oh, but Mr. Finney, that's not all yet. I went back to Cleveland, Ohio a few years ago. And I married one of the sweetest women in all of Cleveland. She's a religious woman. And Mr. Finney, I fooled her. I told her that I was a big man in the city of Detroit. And Mr. Finney, I brought her here and I've wrecked her life and we have a little daughter. And I've beat her and I've cursed and I've sworn at her and I've made her drink whiskey. Mr. Finney, I've nearly wrecked my home and ruined my wife's character. Mr. Finney, is there any hope for a man? Mr. Finney, disregarding the revolver, reached up with those big arms of his and put them on the shoulder of this man and shook him. And he said, Sir, you're the greatest sinner I've ever met. If there's ever a man deserved to go to hell, you do. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can cleanse even you from sin. That's all, Mr. Finney. You may go now. Without another word, Charles Finney turned his back. Manon opened the door. Down the stairway to his place of residence, Mr. Finney went. The man went over to the window and looked down on the street as it was snowing again. He watched and looked and meditated for a long time. Then all of a sudden he became a wild man. He grabbed a chair. He rushed back and forth in that saloon and broke every bottle in the place and tore it from top to bottom. And when he spent himself, he lay exhausted on the floor. Then about six o'clock in the morning, he trudged slowly. When he got home, he opened the door, went up to his room, his wife The little girl by the name of Anne was in the kitchen with her. And the mother turned and said, Anne, your dad is just coming. Would you go and tell daddy that breakfast is ready? And she was afraid because she'd never heard a kind word from the dead. She went up the stairway and knocked on the door. He said, come on. And she cautiously opened the door and she said, Daddy, breakfast is ready. Darling. Sweetheart, tell Papa that Daddy doesn't want me to And she fairly flew down the stairs and she said, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy called me darling and sweetheart. Daddy, Daddy called me. Oh, honey, you don't understand your daddy's So she rushed up the stairs again and this time she opened the door a little more and she said, Daddy, Mama says to please come on to breakfast, it's ready. He said, darling, come on and get your dad. And very nervously and cautiously she approached him. 
she went to him and put his arm around Hugged her and loved her and kissed her and wept broken. Then when he looked up through his tear-stained eyes, he saw his wife standing short, wide-eyed and wondering what was going on. And he said, honey, he put his arm around her and he said, darling, both of you, you have a new daddy. Your daddy's not drunk. Your daddy's just been cleansed from sin by the blood of Christ. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. And that little family's heart was melted together and they dropped on their knees and had their first family altar. I tell you tonight, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can wash the vilest and the dirtiest and the vilest sin from your heart tonight and guarantee tonight that when you die that you'll go to heaven. But only that way. There was a little girl about 18 years of age, was at a party one night, and she sang so beautifully that the whole town of London was talking about it. And a preacher, a godly preacher, came up to her that night and said, Young lady, why don't you give your life to Christ? Trust in the blood of Christ and give your voice to God. She stamped her foot and turned on her feet and said, Mister, don't speak to me like that. The audacity is that that night at midnight when she was home, she woke up with a start in the middle of the night and she was convicted of her sins and she got down. Got down. On her knees. And at midnight scribbled out this little poem. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to the old Lamb of God, I come, I come. And Charlotte Elliot was born again that night of the Spirit of God, and the blood washed her sins away. Tonight, just as you are, whatever your condition, you can come by faith to Christ right where you sit without moving out of your seat. You can know tonight that every sin is gone and cleansed and washed away.